1: Pastor Dominic Grimaldi here with Street Talk Theology, where we take theology and we bring it to the streets. Welcome. God bless. May God bless and keep all of you. We are back today. I am back with my co-host, Pastor Michael Teddy, and our special guest, Peter Sammons. And we're, we're it's an honor to to have Peter. Uh, again, Pastor Grimaldi at Gmail. I don't want to take a lot of time in that, you know. You can um, write me uh, and ask me anything you want on the theology tip. I'm here to help. And uh, Pastor Michael Teddy, Michael,
2: can you let them know where they can reach you? Sure. You can reach me at redemptionhill.india at gmail.com. Redemption Hill is the name of the church that I pastor uh, in the southern tip of India. And um, as as always, it's a joy to be part of a Street Talk Theology podcast, and um, it's good to be with Peter again for us to have these discussions uh, that I think are very important. So it's good to, good to be here, good to be with you. Yeah, you know, you know, Thanks for Peter, having me, guys. Yeah, well, you
1: uh, we love you, Peter. Hey, Peter, you know, since you know a little bit about Italians, you know, we can talk, and, and time goes fast. So I wanna, I want Peter to. Um, tell us about the book, where we can get the book, and then we'll get into a few questions because i don't I don't want to miss out on that because it is a blessing. People will be blessed and honored to read this book.
3: yeah, so yeah, so the book uh, again, it's on reprobation and it sounds like a daunting topic, but I'm a pretty straightforward guy. I'm not you know super high flighty and just trying to be clear and and faithful and so, the book's not super hard. You can find it really almost anywhere. I think they have it on Amazon. I've seen it on there a lot. Um, and then CBD, I know, has it. And so a number of outlets do. It's, it's printed by Kriegel Academic. And so they they were one of the companies that took a chance on me. And so I'm really happy that uh, people are taking interest. And um, and again, it's, just, it's a difficult topic mostly to accept than it is to understand. So hopefully it encourages people to, to take a deeper look at it.
1: And Peter, if anybody's got, I know you're, you're um, Peter, tell us to another thing. This is, tell us what you do, because Peter's a pretty busy guy. I mean, if somebody wanted a, a question or something like that, but tell us exactly what you do, what you're doing now, and then we'll get into a couple of questions.
3: Yeah, so I teach in the theology department at the Master's Seminary, and I've been teaching there for a few years and just joined the theology department in a um, in a kind of a permanent capacity now. And so I teach our uh, core theology classes, um, doctrine of God, doctrine of the Bible, uh, doctrine of Christ, Holy Spirit, salvation. I do electives on Calvin and the Institutes, Puritan theology. And so, yeah, I mostly just, I teach at the seminary. And and again, I'm very involved in our church here at Grace Community Church. Our pastor, John MacArthur and Phil Johnson, these guys all pastor. And so, uh, you know, so I'm a churchman, I'm a father and I, you know, I teach at the seminary and so I stay pretty busy with, different writing and teaching responsibilities.
1: Okay. So I'm going to get, thank you so much. I'm going to get into, I'm going to ask about, um, oh, so let me ask this first. And I got two things and I want to turn it over to uh, Michael. So let me use this text here and then I can, I can probably succinctly uh, use this. Uh, Paul did book of Acts preaching to the Jews, Jews reject the gospel and then um Paul, uh, let me see, Acts 13, 47 says, For so the Lord has commanded us, I've placed the light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as been appointed to eternal life believed. So the appointing to eternal life comes before the belief. So, Peter, can you expound on that? And then the question, the other follow up question is, what are the various Arminian positions on predestination and how are they different from what you present in the book? So there's a two prong question. And Peter, I am reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Hey, right? There you go. Right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. Got, he's got a big smile on his face, Michael. It come from their seminary.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's great. Yeah. So that's a great question. And it's interesting. I love that you went to that text because in context, like, as you explained, so, so succinctly too, you have all the Jews rejecting D- Jesus. It, and again, they had been groomed, so to speak, through their scriptures to receive the Messiah. They've been prepared with the testimony he was coming, you know, and yet they reject him. And then the least likely people that would receive the savior are the Gentiles and yet we see they do, and it tells us why. It's a wonderful text. gives us an insight into the operation of God's outworking his decree here. It says, as many as, as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So it's almost not everybody believed, but the ones who are appointed to eternal life believed. And that really goes kind of into the question as well about what you asked about the differences between really the various views of Arminianism and Calvinism that are out there. And there's a lot of them. It stems ultimately with their view of man. And that's why pre is one of those pinnacle doctrines. You, you get someone's view of man, their view of scripture, their view of God, all play into how they define these doctrines. And, um, you know, for Arminians, depending on which stripe or shade they are, um, there's different views out there. Either it's by provenient grace or by their own natural abilities. They, they have a will that is not enslaved to sin. And so they think that receiving is just something that or believing is something we do. But scripture tells us that faith is a gift of God, and not all men have faith, and you can't please God without faith. And another text I think of that comes to mind about that is just John, uh, chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, right? Talks about as many as believed him, they became the children of God. Amen. And it tells us how in verse 13 they were born not of, of blood. So it wasn't about their ancestry, it's not because your parents were believers that you became a believer says it's not because of the will of the flesh, right? So it's not because of works. So that kind of rules out the Catholic view and it's not because of the will of man, which rules out the Arminian view, right? So your belief doesn't come from human will, human work, or human ancestry. Um, It comes from God. It's a monergistic work we say in theology, which is a a scary little word, but just comes from mono meaning one energism, you know, one worker, In salvation, which is God, as opposed to this cooperation mindset that we often think of that, you know, God gives part of it, man gives the other part with faith. um, And that would be the Arminian understanding. And so based on just that, where you look at how it's played out experientially, a lot of times people take from their experience and then import that back into their understanding of doctrine of God and scripture. And that's what's known as the kind of the prescient foresight view of of foreknowledge that the arminians have where they think god kind of looked down the corridors of time and he saw well who has faith well those who have faith are the ones i'm going to choose and so um, that's called prescient view the foresight yeah. view and ultimately that goes against the, just some of the texts we've even looked at so far and especially romans 9 because that says in romans 9 13 you know before jacob and esau were born before they'd done anything good or evil god made his choice so he's Peter, not taking so, into account any of their works, Peter, you know, or I yeah, Jacob
1: in, and Esau. Sorry, Peter, I'm so sorry. But before I turn it over to uh Pastor Michael, so I, I, I like what you said, Michael, check this out. Basically, I, if I'm reading you right, God doesn't, God has, for, God doesn't need foreknowledge for knowledge. He just knows, right? It, I mean,
3: absolutely. Yep. absolutely.
1: Right. He doesn't need. Even though he has foreknowledge, he doesn't, he doesn't depend on his foreknowledge for his absolute knowledge. Is that, am I yeah, reading you right That's on right. That?
3: I mean, yeah, there's numerous scriptures where it says, who has informed God? Who has been his counselor? God's knowledge is not responsive, it's not informed, it's not reciprocal. Amen. God's knowledge causes things. God's knowledge is not, you know, secondhand right? That something's happening. He knows about it. That's how human knowledge works much of the time, but God's knowledge is causative. Um, and again, it doesn't, he doesn't not informed by men or by anything that men will do, you know? Um, so yeah, that's a great, uh, right there. Uh, Yeah. Maybe,
2: you know, go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, you know, I think like we were talking about, you know, uh, coming to this topic, you know, a lot of people, at least in my context, I see a lot of people that uh, just have a lack of categories to understanding how all of this plays together, you know. So we, you know, in our circles, uh, at least in, in India, uh, you know, we the predominant uh, Christian teaching is the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It's the tele That's that's what's here, right? And what's propagated most is a God of love. And for a lot of people, they they see the the God of love as a God of love only as long as there's no judgment in that picture. The moment they see judgment, immediately God lacks in love. That, you know, that for them is antithetical to love. It's not, doesn't go together. And yet, I think in your book, you mention about how God's attributes, all of which, you know, he is the righteous judge. He is uh, justice. And at the same time, he is love. And all of these attributes are united. They, they, um, you know, they don't contradict one another. They, They are in him perfectly. They cohere perfectly inside of him. But a lot of people, I just find find it very difficult because of a lack of categories to understand how can a God of love do this? You know, how can he not save if it's up to him to save everybody? And so a lot of that comes from that. So what would your encouragement be for people who are feeling that tension listening to us and they don't have these categories and what do they do? How do they approach this?
3: That is a great question. and I'm even glad that you mentioned that part about um, the context that you're living in with, with charismaticism and things like that, because it kind of helps even set the, the question in a proper light. Um, so as you mentioned, I, I talk about in the book, just very briefly, there's other more helpful books on the idea of God's simplicity, that God's not made up of parts. And that's about right. God's essence as he is in himself. We call that God at as He is in himself. But as God makes himself known in creation, he makes himself studyable, so to speak, by reflecting or refracting his one divine essence in a way that we can study him. So there's a difference in creation in the economy of redemption between love and hate, for example. And right. what you've described is very helpful because a lot of times when we think of love, we do what, you know, a lot of people do is we take our experience of love or what we think love is rather than. And we take it back into scripture rather than allowing the Bible to define what love is for us. So we think love is something that makes much of us. Uh, We think, well, God loves me, right? It is an action. Well, no, no, no. The Bible tells us God is love. It's a part of his, it is his essence. It's not a part. God is love. It is his essence. And so love has to be defined biblically and not just, well, God loves because of what he does for me, which I think ties to that charismatic kind of interest that people have because they think, well, God can make my life better. God can make my life more prosperous. God can make my situations better. If I pray more, I'm more earnest in my faith, blah, blah, blah. And the problem with that is, is, is that is nothing more than materialism. It's nothing more. It's not Christianity. That's just like rubbing a lamp and hoping the genie will give you your wishes and then, but then selling that to people or propagating that to people, and that's just simply not what we find in the Bible. God is independent, He does as He pleases, always as as He pleases, right? Psalm 115. And so, if the Lord is in the heavens and does as He pleases, and love is well for us, true love is making much of God, not making much of self, because the Creator is to be worshiped, not the creation then worship and adoration and love from us should be God-oriented. Then when we see the fact that God loves himself the most is proper. We don't think about that. We're oftentimes like, whoa, 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 you know, that, that's odd to us. But if God right. is the one for whom all people were created and they find their greatest joy because they're made that way in loving him the most and exalting him, we see the whole world is a stage with which to display the attributes of God, right? And then we come to texts where we right. see God hates the wicked every day, like Psalm 5. And like we mentioned right. with Romans 9, Esau, I hated. And we come across these texts. Well, we have to realize there are texts that speak of God's hate and his judgment. You know, he hates the wicked every day. You know, Proverbs 11, 21, be sure of this. No wicked man will go unpunished. Her. So it's it's I'm kind of paraphrasing that. Um, But, you know, God's justice is vital to proper recognition of his holiness, his otherness, his exaltedness. And so, again, if we put that even in the human context, we would never think someone was a just judge who just simply overlooked a fault, right? If people go into court, let's say you have someone who was uh, an axe murderer or something heinous, you know, um, and the judge just said, eh that's okay. Well, that's not justice. That's not truly loving either because loving uh, has a concern for that. Right. And so scripture, again, God is the, God is love and we love God again because he first loved us. Right. So it kind of goes back to that, a similar thing about the doctrine of election. Like we can't just love God on our own as fallen creatures, you know? Right. Um, So, yeah. Donald, Don,
2: do I have time for one more question? A thousand
1: percent. All right. <laughs> I'm enjoying this. This is great when yeah. I can just sit down and listen. Man.
2: Yeah. I mean, it was it really it was helpful. But I, I want to ask now the flip side of that, because as much as there's a context of people here who don't have categories for this, there's a lo- large group of youngsters in, our, in my context, at least who have you know who are learning about calvinism who you know who you know who are uh, 10 point calvinist if you want to put it that way right so they you know, they're passionate <laughs> about the theology and all yeah. of these things uh, and but they're not part of a local church right mm. they're not they're not part of a local church they're not part of a proper discipleship and so what are some of the negative impacts because i know we're talking much about the positive impacts throughout yeah. about how this affects us but a lot of them, I can give you one example, at least what I run into is election and predestination and reprobation becomes somewhat like a tool for these guys to decide whether a person is saved or not, right? So they look at some person who is not theologically pristine, who loves Jesus, who does not know all these big words, and they would look at them and say, You don't know anything, these people are not probably saved, right? Yeah. They they would use it as a litmus. So I'm, you know, what are some of the dangers? And what could you, what would you say to people who are, you know, not part of churches and, you know, who are coming into this theology and they're going all out. What are some of the concerns and what are some of the, you know, caution that you would give them?
3: Great question. And this kind of ties a little bit to what we did in our last episode, but just to kind of remind us is that people understand this doctrine properly, not just kind of the end result of the doctrine, but understand it properly, understand that God does use means and one of the means, or the only means, that God uses to save His people is through the proper preaching of the Word. And one Amen. of the means God uses to sanctify His saved people is the body of Christ. And we know that Amen. Christ loves His church, and His people love His church. Amen. So, it is, um, it is a sign of really someone who is... Using this as an intellectual kind of tool, like they understand it and they're going to show off that they're smart, maybe can understand some some data, but their hearts haven't been transformed if they don't have a love for the local church. Because what does Jesus say repeatedly? You will know them by their love for one another, right? Uh, You'll know they love me by the way they keep the commandments. And he tells us. Mm to not forsake assembly together. Um, and again, he has one bride, which is the church. And so if you don't if you don't love the church, that's a surefire sign that you're not actually a Christian, or you need to be self-examining to see if you actually are saved. Because again, I remember it was one of those things in my own conversion. I remember a girl asked me when I thought I'd been saved, one of the things in the Bible belt you grew up with is, you're asked to kind of come down to the altar, you know, and you pray a prayer, and you think you're good. It's, and we all thought that because we did it like seven times a year. Yeah. And it was one of those <laughs> yeah. things where a girl was like asking me at a bus stop. She said, "Are you a Christian?" I said, "Yeah, you know, I've done that." She goes, "Where do you go to church?" And I had to stop and think. Well, I I don't go to church. She goes, "What kind of Christian doesn't go to church?" And I'm like, "Huh, good point." And I think once <laughs> these guys get wrapped up in the doctrines of grace and Calvinism. You know, the thing is, is is if they read Calvin and the Institutes, where I tell guys to start, I read it as a teenager, um, you will see how exhaustive he is on the doctrine of the church. In book four, the very beginning of book four, he talks about true and false church in the first two chapters, and you'll see how much he loves the church. So you're not really a very good Calvinist even, even if you have the proper view of predestination, if you don't love the church, right? right? And that's one of the things you see is that because God uses means, he uses the preaching of the gospel and, you know, the, the body of the local church to mature his people, Um, you know? So if, how would you ever be saved without the preaching of the gospel? And then also sanctification comes through that, that living in church context process where you live out the one and others that we see in scripture. Um, So, yeah. So as far as the church goes, I think it's one of those things where you can tell how much a person really loves loves the Lord by how much they love the church too. Right. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a great Amen. point. Thank you, Michael. Uh, you got anything else? Um, I got, I got one more and we got, uh, about. we can do that. Uh, only because it was something that Peter wrote. And I think it's important because I, I right. there's a cup, co- we're not going to cover every one of these questions. And I, I dare not Peter ask to come back again. Maybe he'll come back again another time, but this question I think is important. How should this doctrine impact Christian ministry in life? I think I, that's kind of a good way to land, right, Peter? I think, uh, I think that's a good way to land this plane, so to speak.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, for one, it allows us to praise God. Um, not just for things that at this moment we like or understand. We're able to praise God and love God in a deeper, more robust way based on how he's revealed himself in his word, right? Like, So we're not just praising him because, well, I like what he's done for me, that I'm elect. We praise him for his justice too, which heightens our understanding of his grace. If everyone received grace, then grace is no longer grace, right? Um, it's in the backdrop of this idea of justice that we have, a greater appreciation and a humility that's brought to us by grace. So I think the impact on the Christian life is one, it's a life of great humility because you didn't save yourself. Uh, if it were up to you, you would have gone straight to hell. Right. Um, and so that's, yeah. that's one thing. I think it, it really leads you to a life of humility, leads you to a life of praise, praising God's grace. Um, and it also gives you a life of patience. Right. Uh, Because we, and and fervency to preach the gospel, as you kind of mentioned earlier about the the Calvinist stuff, I mean, the greatest gospel preachers in the history of the world that have turned the world upside down, like John Knox and Charles Spurgeon, and and you can kind of go through the list, they were Calvinists, committed to these doctrines and, and even the doctrine of reprobation. But what did it do? It didn't cause them to stop loving the church or preaching the word. They preached the word even more because they know that the Bible commands us to preach the word, and it's the secondary means that God uses to, to transform hearts, to regenerate souls, but it gives us, it gives us patience and assurance. So first patience in that, look, you preach the gospel. Someone doesn't get saved the first time they hear it. I know I did the first time I heard it. And what do you do? You keep preaching the gospel. You keep preaching the gospel because God is faithful to work through the preaching of the gospel. It's the way He uses the way he regenerates hearts. And, um, but then it's also not up to you in that the assurance part is it's, it's not up to you. You can, you can rest knowing it's all in the hands of God, right? If you faithfully preach the word, then he, he works through that. And, um, and you don't have to think I have to do something innovative. I have to do something creative. I have to try to manipulate the situation to try to, to wrestle people into heaven. If I had to live with that burden on my heart, that every person who ever rejected the gospel under my preaching, was somehow my responsibility because I just wasn't convincing enough or I wasn't. Well, again, that goes against what Paul says as well. He says, we didn't come to you in cleverness of speech, right? We claimed or or clear rhetoric, right? Impressive rhetoric. We came to you with a scandalous message, Mm -hmm. Christ crucified to save sinners. And again, so it's, it's humbling. It causes us to preach the gospel with more fervency. It allows us to have patience and also assurance that God will do his great work. Again, the one who's begun a good work will see it too to completion, and we rest in those truths and promises. So, I think for a Christian, there's a great uh, amount of ways this impacts our life um, as we see, you know, in reality that not everyone's saved, right? Um, But somehow God's will is not thwarted either, you know? So,
1: yeah, amen. Thank you. Reprobation and God's Sovereignty: Recovering a Biblical Doctrine by Peter Sammons there's a forward by, who's John MacArthur, and there's a forward by. (laughs) It's like saying who's Mickey man. right? Um, Oh yeah. There's there's a forward by John MacArthur. Um, Again, it's by uh, Kregel Academic. I get you can probably get it on all the 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 Christian bookstores. Hey, Peter, really, I know, for speaking for Michael, it's an honor to have you. I know it was not easy to get an hour of your time. So we're so grateful and honored. And um, I pray Godspeed in what you do, Pastor Michael. Uh, you know how much I love you and the church in India. So um, it's just a good one. Uh, what does Psalm 133 say about the fellowship? It's like the oil running down Aaron's beard, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> Had to be olive oil, right, Peter? It's got to be good olive oil, man. It's got to be, be good. <laughs> it's got to be good. Some <laughs> a nice bread. All right, guys. Love you guys. Um, this is Pastor Dominic Grimaldi, Street Talk Theology. We take theology and bring it to the streets in
0: Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us for Street Talk Theology with Pastor Dominic Grimaldi. You can visit Pastor Dom at Desert Sky Baptist Church at eight nine one West Corson Road, Casa Grande. And for more information, visit us online at www.desertskybaptist.org.